The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Decision Alberta on the 630 Chad Afternoon News. We do want to tell you that uh, the main party leaders uh, spending most of the day down in southern Alberta and Calgary and Red Deer, um, Rachel Notley making a teaching announcement uh, announcement on more teachers today. Uh, the Alberta Liberal leader made an interesting tax and fiscal policy announcement, mm. which we'll tell you about. Uh, Jason Kenney is making a health policy and opioid crisis announcement as we speak. And uh, then this afternoon, Alberta party leader Stephen Mandel's going to be making an announcement on expanding uh, the Queen Elizabeth II Highway to accommodate self-driving cars. So we'll bring you that information as it's made available. Big shout out to everyone in Drayton Valley today mm-hmm. who came out to um, our um, On the Road show uh, focusing on energy and the economy and certainly some some really tough stories uh, heard in Drayton Valley today with uh, Jespo's show. Today though, we're going to continue the focus on the energy in the economy. Yeah. Let's start with this. Why not? Let's take a closer look at some of the issues and where the party leader stands and what has been proposed. We'll do that right now with Markham Hislop, the author of the new Alberta Advantage and publisher of Energy News. Hi, uh, Markham. How are you doing? Good afternoon. How are you folks? Uh, good. You know what? I, I We have you on to talk specifically about uh, energy policy and as it pertains to the election, but uh, boy, I could talk to you for a I spent the better part of this morning watching you talk to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's start with uh, energy and the election. Curious, Markham, your thoughts on uh, the energy plans being put forward by the party so far? Well, I, I guess uh, yeah, I'd have to, if you don't mind me, uh, you know, pumping my uh, the tires on my book a little bit. Uh, the the thesis of the new Alberta Advantage is that the oil sands companies that account for 80% of Alberta oil production are busy lowering their emissions and lowering their costs because they think that in five or 10 years, uh, the Asian countries in particular markets that they want to get into are going to be putting on carbon pricing and other restrictive climate policies. So that's kind of the economic engine of, of Alberta. And if you look at Rachel Notley's policies, especially over the last two, three years, they were all designed around the oil sands. So her, her policies like the carbon competitive incentive regulation, methane emissions reduction, even the 100 megaton oil sands emission cap, all of that was done at the behest of the oil sands companies. And so what I, but, but I, uh, I do have one observation. Why isn't Rachel Notley talking more about her policies. She's talked about social policies, educational policies, very little about energy policies. And I'm hoping over the next week, maybe, uh, that she will spend more time on on doing that. Now, as far as Mr. Kenny, we've seen a, a lot of what he's running on is doing what what some initiatives like the fact strategy. Uh, he's talked about that earlier, you know, uh, even as early as last fall, uh, I'm on the record as opposing it. I think that fighting with our with our fellow provinces and uh, is counterproductive, and I think it will not not only not get us pipelines quicker, uh, well, the one pipeline TMX, but I don't think it'll get future pipelines quicker. So, but nevertheless, that's his uh, position. 
Uh, we'll see what Alberta voters think about it. Well, I'll answer your first question. Why isn't uh, the Premier talking about uh, her policy? Because it's not popular. And the second uh, would be that uh, Jason's Kenny, Jason Kenney's uh, proposition doesn't to me at least make sense because and i want you to comment on this are we even talking about the environment here when it comes to all of this are we talking about a transition that's going to happen over the next few decades away from oil this is really about technology not environment that's a very good point and that's and that's exactly the issue that the oil companies are grappling with we're about 20 years into an energy transition and the question then becomes how soon are we going to see peak oil demand. We've already seen uh, demand for oil peak in North America and Europe and the developed economies. And whatever uh, growth is going to come is going to come from Asia, but particularly China and India. But there's a great deal of uncertainty over the timeline. Uh, if we go by historic standards, we could see another 50, 75 years. But there are, there's a very good argument that it might be only 20 years or 30 years. And we might see only 70 million barrels uh, a day of oil demand, say, by 2040, instead of the 105 that industry in Alberta is counting on. So the, the oil sands companies in particular uh, are spending a lot of time, a lot of, they're paying a lot of attention to the energy transition. And they believe that decarbonizing and which drives down their costs because they're not burning, they're burning less or no natural gas, which both lowers emissions and lowers costs. They think that's the best way to at least prepare for an uncertain future. So just recently at this um, big conference in Houston, I think it was the uh, the executives from Husky Energy and Suncor, they were you know praising the carbon policy in Alberta, saying they support it, but it can be improved. What do you believe or what are they telling or what are you hearing on that front as far as how it could be improved? Well, uh, how it can be improved, and this is gets back to the carbon competitive incentive regulations, uh, some of the companies, uh, in particular Husky, which has some very high uh, production with high carbon intensity, uh, it hits them a little harder. Mm. And I think that they would like to see maybe, you know, that kind of production given a little bit more of a break while they innovate and develop some new technologies. There's also some questions around where the uh, innovation fund, the money that the Notley government had set aside, to support new technologies within the oil sands, how that's being allocated and where it's being spent. I, so there are certainly, I think, uh, you know, I interviewed Dave Collier, who is a former Shell executive and a CAP CEO, and he was saying that there have been, a, you know, a few glitches and, and the, the industry would like to see things done a little better. Overall, they're pleased with it. Well, I, I wonder about this and your take on it, that if you accept the... Uh if you accept the theory, and I guess it's more than the theory, that we're transitioning over the next, what, 100 years away from all fossil fuel to more efficient uh, renewable energy, shouldn't there be a natural transition to that, though, as opposed to a government-imposed transition to that? And I use as an example California and uh, their policies regarding, uh, uh, what, fuel-efficient vehicles, and they didn't meet any of their goals because it's not a natural progression. That's a very good question, and the uh, the subtitle in my book is called Technology Policy in the Future of the Oil Sands, because I take the position in the book that, in fact, what's driving the transition is new technologies. And there are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of new technologies, energy technologies, that have entered the marketplace over the last 5, 10, 
15, 20 years, and they're all at various stages of the curve, you know, as, they, as the adoption begins to speed up. And policy really only can accelerate technology adoption a, a small amount. And that's why California is finding out that when you subsidize electric cars that have short range are twice or three times as uh, costly as, as uh, internal combustion engine cars, you don't always meet your goals. Uh, that said, you're going to see in the 2020s, we're getting set for a huge advance in new technologies. And not only the ones we just talked about, the energy transition kind of talk, technologies, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. machine learning, automation, all of those are just starting to work in the Alberta economy. And the 2020s is going to be a, a really exciting time. It's going to be like a, the dot-com boom of the 1990s where entire industries get restructured uh, around this the, uh, the, as a result of these new technologies. Andrew, part of it is we've been talking about this diversification mm-hmm. and, and changing things up for what seems like decades now, and it just seems like there's this constant, or there's a pushback to it. We do see some that want to grow and want to do this, but it's like, oh, well, we still have it, so let's dig it up. And I get that, and I get that, but it just seems that there's, there's blowback every time you start talking about diversification that there's some folks out there that are saying well you just hate our oil that sort of business well here's part of it and mark you jump in anytime yeah. you want so take a look at uh, alberta being coal free by 2030 mm-hmm. right and uh, programs uh, you know proposed by the government to say that oh no problem we're going to retrain or we'll reallocate mm-hmm. or we'll you know to a guy who's making his living or to a city a town that relies on coal uh, they, you know, think of us instead. Oh, yeah, I know. But, you know, if you tell a coal miner that, hey, no problem, you'll be doing coding on websites next year. You know, they have an industry based on this. That, and, and meanwhile, they're looking at a worldwide industry, uh-huh. which is expanding coal yeah. a- at the same time. And the argument is, and this is why I ask about technology versus environment. The argument is, well, it's better for the environment mm. to get rid of coal. But how much is the coal production or use in Alberta affecting the environment anyway? Well, I think it's not so much a question of whether we're affecting the global environment. It's a, it's a question of our uh, Alberta provincial emissions. So right now we emit about 263 megatons of greenhouse gases compared to that, that's out of a total Canadian total of about 700 and I think it's 710 or 720. Alberta is like 30, 40 percent of the Canadian total. Wow. And there's a big push to lower emissions wherever possible. There's, it's not only good for the environment, it's also, as the oil sands companies are showing, it's a competitive advantage. Because, for instance, if you look at the oil market, we're not talking about the 100, megaton, or 100 million barrels a day. It's the 10 million barrels a day of heavy crude oil. Mm. That's what we should focus on. We produce 3 million of it. We're the dominant player. By, by decarbonizing... We then give ourselves a competitive advantage over Venezuela and Mexico and Brazil and Iraq, Iraq and countries that aren't doing any of that stuff. And so we can turn, uh, we can actually turn decarbonizing into a strategic advantage for economic development. Now, I, I feel for the, for the coal workers. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, you've spent 10, 20, 30 years in an industry and suddenly it's yanked out from, from underneath you, and especially in small communities like Hanna where there's not any alternatives. But we are seeing structural change in the energy sector, and we're going to see a lot more of it as these new technologies I was talking about, the digital technologies, get adopted. 
So one of the things, the uh, big theme in, in my book is change is coming. A tsunami of innovation is coming, Alberta. Get ready for it. Wow. But do you think it would be more acceptable to the average Albertan, and specifically to Albertans who make their living in the oil industry or, or into the oil and gas industry, if we weren't in an economic slump to begin with, if we hadn't already been hit by low prices, if we hadn't already been hit by not being able to expand the pipeline to the West Coast, if those were not a factor, and they are, but if those were not a factor, would it be an easier... Would it be more palatable? Yeah, would it be a more palatable uh, uh, meal for the oil industry? Well, uh, certainly. I mean, it's a whole lot easier to make adjustments when, when you have a job and you can pay your mortgage and put, uh, put groceries on the table. Uh, in the, my, the conclusion of my book is all about expansion. There's a vision here, if we catch it, where we can expand the production of oil and gas. We can build new technologies if we take, sorry, new pipelines to the West Coast, if we take a different approach to these things. The decarbonization of the oil sands, for instance, I keep coming back to that, but really, I mean, this is it's a big deal in, in the Alberta economy. And it, it, we currently produce $3 million. What if we were to produce 45 or $5 million? What if we were to produce, produce the 7.5 million barrels a day? That's the high case, uh, pres, uh, high case from the Canadian Energy Research Institute's forecast. We could see tremendous... Uh, expansion as a result of that. Maybe if we had a, a Western Energy Corridor from Edmonton to Prince Rupert, mm. owned by First Nations, and we maybe we could build one, two, three pipelines straight to the the, the uh, deep deepest deep water port in uh, in Canada. So these are all things that I that I talk about in the book, and I knit. I basically connect the dots between what's going on in the energy sector in Alberta and what needs to happen in the future. Our guest today is Markham Hislop, the author of The New Alberta Advantage and publisher of Energy News. We're talking uh, Decision Alberta Energy and the Economy. Um, every time I talk to you, Markham, I have to ask you the same question as we continue to wait for uh, a green light on uh, on Trans Mountain today. The head of T uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline, Ian Anderson, said he remains optimistic. The expansion plan will go, uh, the plan will go ahead. Uh, we heard about this 90, uh, we heard about uh, hopefully a decision or the completion of the review uh, with the Indigenous communities within the 90 days. We're still waiting on that. What are you hearing? Well, what I'm principally hearing is that there's a, a consortium of First Nations coming together that want to buy 51% of TMX. Hmm. And I think that's a tremendous... Uh, I think we should do that. If we, if we could make that happen, we absolutely should do that for a number of reasons. Uh, one is... Uh, as J.P. Gladue, uh, the CEO of the Aboriginal Business Council, told me in an interview, he said, if we're, talking, if we're talking consultation, make First Nations owners. Give them equity. Put them around the board table. They will do consultation because now they're owners. Now they have a stake in it. Yeah. And he said, if we're talking about economic reconciliation, let's make First Nations owners. And the group that's putting this together, uh, Harry Riedenberg, who's a professor at the Haskane School of Business, told me in an interview because uh, he's advising uh, these folks on the technical side, he said, we can raise all the capital we need simply through the bond market, because mm -hmm. pipelines are almost like a utility. The National Energy Board sets the tolls, the, sh the, the shipment tolls, high enough that the pipeline company will make a profit. 
So if they can raise the money in the bond market because of that, then basically they're buying 25 to 30 to 40 years of, of cash flow and profits that they can distribute in their in their communities. So in my opinion, I, I really hope that this goes through. I think it's a, it's a, a great uh, option. And I think that if we combine that with a, a First Nation-owned energy corridor where we can build future pipelines. I mean, I, I asked, you know, the uh, CAP president, Tim C. Uh, McMillan, I asked him one time, do you really think we're going to be able to build another pipeline through Burnaby? <laughs> and he said he thought he, we could. I think that's silly. Now, I don't think we're ever going to build another pipeline through Quebec, and we're not going to build another pipeline through, through Burnaby. Uh, if we want it, future pipelines are going to have to go straight across to Prince Rupert, through a First Nation owned energy corridor. Hmm. Markham, always uh, fascinating talking to you. Make sure you check out his new book, The New Alberta Advantage. I believe it came out this week. Markham, thanks it for did. this. Thank you very much. Pleasure as always. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.